artisanal way in an undisclosed location somewhere underneath Portland, Oregon. This is I'll Have a Beer and Talk, a podcast that I do because I wanted to combine two things that I love in life. Drinking beer and talking about technology. For the record, I also love my wife, our cats, and our chickens. My name is Gary, and welcome to my world of amusement and childlike wonder. I have stories about robotic shorts, the healing power of fish scales, heating your home with the cloud... Denny's and Snapchat, Flamingo Standing Secrets, Sheep Pain Facial Expressions, and Studying Prairie Vole Cuddling for Science. So prepare to learn all about that stuff that you may have missed that was posted on that internet daily last week. Before we begin, let me grab a beer. To help me make a selection from the stockpile of beer I keep down here in the I'll Have a Beer and Talk bunker, I use a device called the Randomizer, which, as its name suggests, randomly chooses the beer for me. And here we go. Hooray! This week's beer has come all the way from Massachusetts. Can you believe it? The randomizer has selected Brewmaster Jack's Hoppiness is a Warm Pun, an 8.2% ABV American Double IPA, which is also known as an Imperial IPA. Imperial. Beeradvocate.com had a pretty good write-up defining this beer style, so I shall read that to you right now. Take an India Pale Ale and feed it steroids, ergo the term Double IPA. Although open to the same interpretation as its sister styles, you should expect something robust, multi-alcoholic, and with a hop profile that might rip your tongue out. The imperial usage comes from Russian imperial stout, a style of strong stout originally brewed in England for the Russian imperial court of the late 1700s, though double IPA is often the preferred name. And they cheekily add this little comment at the end. You can thank West Coast American brewers for this somewhat reactionary style. Thanks. Yep, West Coast Brewers love the ham hops. Commence opening beer now. Well, that sensation I am getting in my nostrils is definitely a very, very hoppy odor, and it's a kind of an orangish color with a very pronounced tan head. Well, let's see if it damages my tongue. Here we go. Wow, that is extremely well-balanced for a double IPA. I, I've had Pliny the Elder, the most famous double IPA, and that, I found that to be very resiny and very off-putting, very, very bitter right at the start, and this is nothing. It's totally smooth, has a bitterness, has, has a slight resin sensation to it but it's not overriding at all this is very nice gives me a nice warm feeling a nice hoppy warm feeling so i guess the name is appropriate Engadget reports that harvard engineers had developed a pair of robotic shorts that can help you run faster isn't living in the future grand in treadmill testing because these shorts are currently tethered to an external actuation unit the shorts can reduce a runner's average marathon time from 9.14 minutes per mile to 8.49 minutes per mile which might seem like an inconsequential improvement but in races every second counts the shorts add strength and tension to the muscles that run along your hips and legs by varying when the shorts apply pressure in a runner's stride they add a little strength boost without the runner having to use their own energy which reduces their overall metabolic cost by 5.4 percent here i'm using my own energy to move around like a sucker 
The researchers at Harvard calibrated the shorts, which is not something I ever thought I'd have to say, by looking at the results from a previous study of powered shorts done by Stanford. They found that if they tweaked when the shorts squeeze your legs from when the hips are fully extended to slightly later, they doubled the power of the shorts. Amazing! But why the hell are they doing this? Well, the shorts are part of the development of a larger exosuit system, the study of which is being funded by the DARPA Warrior Web Program, the National Science Foundation, Samsung, the Weiss Institute, and the Harvard Engineering School. The researchers hope to develop a suit that can, quote, augment the performance of recreational athletes and or help with recovery after injury, with the ultimate goal of developing a, quote, portable system with a high power-to-weight ratio so that the benefit of using the suit greatly offsets the cost of wearing it. Maybe in the future, I could pair these robot shorts with that speaker shirt I talked about recently and tell people to get out of my way when I'm running. Imagine Dickinson, get out of my way. Hey, ever burn your skin badly? Luckily, I haven't. Knock on wood. But it's a pretty awful injury. The regular treatment for second and third degree burns is to treat the area with pig and human skin tissue, which transfer the healing protein collagen to the area. However, in certain places, like Brazil, that pig and human tissue is very hard to come by. All the doctors have access to is burn creams and gauze, which need to be changed regularly in a painful process. According to Business Insider, Brazilian researchers have found an alternative source for collagen-packed healing tissue, and it comes from a readily available abundant source. Tilapia! Yes, fish skin is being used to heal burn victims, and it appears that it is actually more effective than the traditional method. Researchers at the Jose Frota Institute looked into many alternative collagen healing materials and stumbled across sterilized tilapia skin. We got a great surprise when we saw that the amount of collagen proteins, types 1 and 3, which are very important for scarring, exist in large quantities in tilapia skin, even more than in human skin and other skins, said Dr. Edmar Maciel, a burn specialist at the Institute. Tilapia is a common fish found in Brazil's rivers and fish farms, so the discovery was fortuitous. Because the tilapia skin is considered fish farm waste, it costs hospitals 75 cents less than traditional bandages per application. It can also, if properly sterilized and kept refrigerated, continue to be effective for up to two years. For treatment, the tilapia skin, scales and all, is simply applied to the burn and left until the patient's skin starts to scar over. In extreme cases, the tilapia skin needs to be changed out periodically, but not nearly as frequently as the painful cream and gauze system does. One patient even claimed that the tilapia skin has some analgesic qualities as well, claiming that the fish skin, quote, takes the pain away. This fish wrap technique is currently in a clinical trial with 56 patients, so hopefully the technique will continue to be a success and then spread everywhere that there's tilapia and burns. And if you have an unfortunate incident where you get burned, I think you'll look really cool with some fish scales wrapped onto your skin. Check me out on the Creature from the Black Lagoon, glug, glug, glug. It is finally springtime here in Portland, Oregon, so I don't need to worry about heating the bunker for a couple months, but boy, has it been getting cold here in the wintertime. Thanks, global climate change. In the bunker and its surface structure, we have an old forced air heating system, which burns fuel oil to heat air that is then forced through vents by a fan to keep things habitable when it's cold outside. Not warm, but habitable. It's pretty pricey, too. Fuel oil isn't cheap, especially late in the year. But what would you say if I told you that a Dutch company could reduce my heating costs by installing a server in the home? It's true, and I read about it on The Verge. Nerdalize makes money by selling server space to other companies. 
That's where that computing cloud thing lives, on servers. Now, servers generate heat, which usually goes to waste in traditional data centers. In 2015, Nerdalize began a year-long pilot program in which they installed a single server in a special radiator enclosure on a wall in five homes, for a small fee, and the homeowners would have free heating from the activity of that server. Now, while slow, it took about an hour to warm up, and weak, the radiator could realistically only heat a small room, it worked. Emboldened by the successful proof-of-concept trial, Nerdalize is now embarking on a second pilot program that is far more ambitious this coming August. They will install multiple servers in 42 Dutch households that will have their excess heat connected to the water supply, giving the homes free hot water using, quote, nothing but data, they claim. They also say that using servers to heat water could save homeowners about 300 euros a year, which is roughly 336 American dollars, will reduce companies' data services costs by 50%, and will also reduce each household's carbon footprint by the equivalent of three tons of CO2. Questions remain as to how the servers will be incorporated into the homes in a way that allows maintenance access without disrupting the homeowner's privacy, and also prevent the homeowner from messing around with the server, but I am intrigued. I want a home powered by the internet. Don't you? Now, you might think that making paper involves trees, smelly factories, and adhesives. And you'd be correct. However, there's another way. You can make paper by hand using just cellulose material, water, a screen, and time. You can learn all about the ancient art of handmade papermaking by checking out this show's sponsor, Pulp and Deckle. Pulp and Deckle is Portland's only community handmade papermaking studio, and its mission is to keep the art of papermaking alive with workshops, demonstrations, and by creating and selling beautiful handmade paper products. Browse a rotating selection of papermaking workshops, check out membership options, inquire about custom orders, take an online recycled papermaking class, and check out all the amazing things we do with the art of papermaking by visiting pulpanddeckle.com. That is... P-U-L-P-A-N-D-D-E-C-K-L-E dot com. Our new teaching studio is pretty much complete and actively running, and we shall be having a very exciting open house soon. Mention I'll have a beer and talk, and we might give you something special. In that strange age range, when I was over 18 but under 21, I spent countless nights with friends drinking coffee and eating pancakes at my hometown's Denny's franchise. Denny's, if you were unawares, is an American diner chain specializing in, but not exclusively, breakfast options available 24 hours a day that, despite appearances, are in fact edible. I kid because I love. Anyway, Denny's has felt the itch to jump into the realm of pizza tech, and of course I had to talk about the story that I saw on Engadget. Pizza Tech is a recurring I'll Have a Beer and Talk show segment where I try to explain fast food companies' attempts to use fancy, sometimes sexy, but mostly weird technological ideas to get you to buy more of their foods. Denny's has decided to revamp their Android and iOS apps, yes, they do have mobile apps, to allow you to order Denny's food ahead of time for takeaway, or even delivery if your local Denny's offers that. Yes, you can now avoid all the awkwardness that ensues when you sit at a wobbly, sticky table and be stared at by the kinds of people that intentionally choose to eat in a Denny's by running in, grabbing your moons over my hammy, and leaving. This has the added benefit of being able to eat Denny's food without shame because no one can see you do it. Sorry. Not sorry. Again, I kid because I love. Not only can you use the official Denny's app to do this, but you can also use Twitter to order ahead through direct messaging. Yeah, but wait, there's more! Denny's also plans to roll out a Facebook Messenger chatbot that will take your order without judgment, and they have decided to prove that they are still relevant to snake people 
by creating a new set of Snapchat filters to encourage you to share your Denny's experience. Yeah, um, no, I, I won't be doing that. Not any of that. Ever look at a sleeping flamingo and wonder how it can balance on one leg like that for hours without getting tired? Well, Mashable has the answer to that burning question. I know it's kept you up on many a sleepless night. Researchers from the Georgia Institute of Technology wanted to figure out how flamingos do this, seemingly without inducing any muscle strain. So they got two dead flamingos from a local zoo and went about testing to see how they do it. In a particularly grisly-sounding series of experiments, the researchers positioned the flamingo corpses on one leg, used clamps to keep them in that position, and took measurements as to how well the one leg could support the body weight and maintain balance. They also dissected the legs to study how the musculature worked in those one-legged standing positions. They have found that flamingos actually can't stand stably on two legs at the same time. They use more energy that way than by using just one leg. Sounds like they need those robot shorts. Anyway, they also discovered that their leg joints are arranged in such a way that when they stand on one leg, the muscles, ligaments, and joints lock into place. And when the foot is placed directly under the body, this gravity-assist locking mechanism resists certain types of movement and keeps the flamingo perfectly stable. So now you know how flamingos stand on one leg for all that time, and knowing is half the battle. Helping animals in pain is tricky. Since they can't speak human languages, a veterinarian or human cohabitator has to rely on other cues to determine if an animal is feeling discomfort. And Gadget reports that facial recognition software, of all things, may come in handy in seeing if an animal needs some pain relief. Fun fact, sheep make predictable faces when they are in pain. So predictable, in fact, that a system has been introduced for determining a sheep's pain level using the Sheep Pain Facial Expression Scale, also known as the SPFES. As part of a study, researchers at the University of Cambridge have programmed a computer to recognize these pain sheep faces using the underlying techniques of computer-based human facial recognition. The study cites, Our multi-level approach starts with detection of sheep faces, localization of facial landmarks, normalization, and then extraction of facial features. Each of those data points is associated with a different level of sheep pain on the SPFES. According to the study, nine different sheep faces were identified by the computer system and was 67% accurate in determining the level of pain each sheep was in, compared to a human success rate. The team believes the system can become more accurate with more sheep face data, and the system could be used for determining the pain levels of other animals that show their pain through their facial expressions, such as mice, rabbits, and horses. I have no idea if this would work with cats, however. They are very good at hiding pain from observers. Having been partially raised by cats, I have learned this ability as well. No one will ever know if I am in pain or not. Ha 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 ha. Anyway, the initial success of this system and its further development would be a boon to veterinary medicine and also give sheep the ability to live a pain-free life. Happy sheep make happy clothes. Gizmodo has revealed to the world that by studying prairie voles' predilection for cuddling each other, researchers have begun to understand the mechanisms behind pair bonding. The aim of the research is to determine the details on how the forming of social relationships affects the brain's functionality. Prairie voles were chosen for the study because, unlike other rodents, the voles don't become disinterested in their chosen partner over time. In fact, they become closer. Depending on the strength of their social bonds, prairie voles huddle together, and the more they huddle, the closer they are to each other, both uh, 
mentally and physically. In the first of two experiments, the voles had their brain activity recorded while they huddled. We were able to see that the activity in the circuit we were recording from could predict how quickly animals would start huddling towards each other, study lead author Robert Liu told Gizmodo. With those areas of the brain involving huddling identified, the researchers moved on to a second experiment. They attempted to influence a female vole's mate preference using optogenetics. That's where light-responsive proteins are used to precisely turn neurons on or off. They targeted neurons in the areas of the brain previously studied, and, well, they learned something. We discovered that neural chemicals like oxytocin and dopamine acting in specific brain areas are important for forming bonds, Liu said. What we didn't know before is how the neural activity in those brain areas is dynamically changing as animals go through social interactions. So it didn't exactly work, but this is an interesting area of research. There is evidently a reward center in the brain for pair bonding, and this research can maybe figure out ways to help people who have difficulty forming relationships due to mental disabilities, such as schizophrenia or autism. And a bonus, I learned that prairie voles are really cute. So win-win. All this was published in the journal Nature last week, if you're interested in learning more. Greetings, friends! Do you wish to support this show? Well, you have the power inside you right now! So use it and hire me for some voice work! I can do voicemail messages, mediocre acting, bad singing, and some adequate audio production! If you feel you or someone you know might have a use for the best part of my body, which happens to be my voice and my brain, let me know. Email me at gary at pulpanddeckle.com. That is G-A-R-Y at P-U-L-P-A-N-D-D-E-C-K-L-E dot com. Rates are reasonable. Also, you can rate and review the show on iTunes. The more ratings I have, the more I have at might show up as a suggestion for people looking for a tech podcast with an alcoholic twist. What a twist. And with more people listening, the more the show can progress. But the wisest and best way to support the show is with cold hard cash. Yes, if you believe my drunken ramblings about beer and technical knowledge for about 15 to 20 minutes each week is something you enjoy and is worth at least $1 a month, you can become my patron at patreon.com slash ihabitradio. That is p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash i-h-a-b-a-t-r-a-d-i-o. And you can join the very attractive and generous people that already throw money at me. Huzzah! I have finished the double IPA and I can still see. So that means it's time for me to go. Please tell your family, friends, neighbors, plants, aliens, ghosts, paint, sheep, and prairie voles about the show and that they can find it on Google Play Music, on iTunes, on Potomatic, on Stitcher, and on Spreaker. And please send me feedback, story suggestions, and beer recommendations to Gary at Pulpandeckle.com or on the Twitters and Instagram at iHabitRadio or even on the Facebook at Facebook.com slash iHabitRadio. It's time for me to go. I will see you in the future. Bye-bye!